We are available on Spotify and YouTube, so don't forget to subscribe for our latest episode. This podcast is lit. If you have low test scores, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but my class ain't one. Hit me! 99 problems, but my class ain't one. If your test scores are low, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but my class ain't one. If you're having lockdown problems, I feel bad for you, son. I've got 99 problems, but poetry isn't one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our latest edition of This Podcast is Lit. Today, we're talking about Wilfred Owen's poem, Exposure. And in with us, we've got Miss Ray. Hello. DJ Zoom. Hello. And Mr. Aykroyd. Hello. Or Aki Boy, as some of the students <laughs> have started calling um, I think, Aki Boy. I think I might adopt it. You might adopt it. Uh, Aki Boy, what, what do you think about this poem, The Exposure by Wilfred Owen? <laughs> yeah, I, I really like it. Um, obviously, it's, a, it's a, what's considered a war poem, a conflict poem, but obviously it comes from a, a slightly different angle as it's not um, about the conflict uh, of the, the enemy necessarily, it's the weather and the boredom. Um, so it comes in from a slightly different angle as to what you may expect a war poem to be about. Um, but it's incredibly sad. I find this poem very, very sad. Um, heartbreaking, really. Um, but so good. Yeah. And from what Mr. Ridges has taught me about the First World War um, over the last few years, it probably is an incredibly accurate war poem. The fact they did just sit around for hours doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a stark contrast to why they might have signed up, signed up for the war. You know, they obviously oh, went the idea of being mm. heroic and Chance well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the the thing about the, the the First World War, we we generally have the a generalized version that it was it was good to begin with, and and yeah. there was propaganda, and um, it'd be over by Christmas, and mm -hmm. it stretched out for longer than they expected. But really, there's just so many different um, experiences within that for the soldiers, and I get you're getting one here. Um, that is so raw, I would say. He, he, he lived it. Um, and I think that's what makes it incredibly sad. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Okay, then. Well, let's kick off, then, with our first segment of the show. Our first pointed segment. Obviously, <laughs> DJ Zoom, a lot of pressure on you at the moment with uh, the amount of flack you're getting. A lot of friendships in the line, Mr. <laughs> yeah, need to be careful because there, there are some... Uh, Fairly angry people in the ranks. Um, so <laughs> we'll, start off, we'll start off as we so regularly do with Miss Ray with a poem in a headline. <laughs> I've gone for Revenge of the Weather. And I've gone for that because I'll, I'll allude to this later on in another segment, so I'm going to keep a little bit of this back. But the idea that actually humans have done something to anger the weather and the anger the weather is therefore actually actively out to get them weather is no longer passive weather is actively out to damage and harm human beings mm. okay short but sweet i don't know i mean is that a lesson for aki boy how to keep it short i uh, i wouldn't like I to comment i don't know really but I, I i like the um the interpretation so i've never really viewed it from that that angle really but i, I, I it works yeah We'll see what Good. Mr. Juice says later yeah. on. We will indeed. Mr. Ackroyd, your poem in a headline. 
The frozen fields of futility. Abandon hope, all ye who enter. Ooh. And it sums it up for me. It's about the weather, um, as Miss Ray said, the futility of life, the futility of war, and it's a hopeless poem. It's, mm. It focuses on the pointlessness of war. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Wow, we are keeping it short this week. My <laughs> poem in a headline is probably going to be a bit longer than yours, unfortunately. I've started writing for broadsheet newspapers over recent weeks. <laughs> Especially after um, slagging me off for saying uh, mine a lot, mine's long. You're in danger <laughs> of being a hypocrite here, Mr. Ferkins. You realise that, don't you? <laughs> I do. Okay, so my poem in a headline is soul destroying passive soldiers lose their minds before their lives and um the reason why i've come up with that particular headline is because uh, one it's almost inevitable that these soldiers were going to die uh, but but i think what is important about this poem is the idea that they'll lose their minds first as i say in the headline really um what's in, what i find incredible about this particular poem are the way that soldiers are presented uh, a lot of the verbs in the poem particularly caught my eye. There's a lot of very passive verbs like watching and, you know, things, just things like worried and, I don't know, they just you just don't anticipate seeing verbs like this when you hear about a war. You, you expect to hear of strong soldiers, active soldiers, like Miss Ray said, yeah. it's the weather that's the active force here with these passive soldiers at, at nature's mercy. Um, so it is a, it is a yeah, it is an eye-opening poem, this one. I think that had this been read by the general public in 1915, 16, 17, 18, they would have been absolutely shocked. This is not how it was being presented back home at the time. Yeah, so I suppose an added point there is that they, um, it's not what they prepared for as well. So you prepare a soldier to battle, to fight the enemy. You know, the, the actual drilling of the shooting, shooting, hiding, whatever you want, the, the physical rigour not training them to watch and wait and freeze to death. So it's something that they, they just can't be prepared for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so time for some controversy. DJ Zoom with the scores. Okay, so uh, first is Miss Ray. Nice and short, nice and sweet. Uh, very much about the, weather, the idea of the weather, and that's really important for this poem, so four points. Uh, also four points, Mr. Ferkin's a little bit long. But that definitely nice different spin on it, the idea that they lose their minds before they lose their lives. Four points. And I like the alliteration of Mr. Ackroyd's, he gets five points. Okay, Mr. Ackroyd, you're learning. You're learning. Bit of alliteration <laughs> goes a long way. Okay. It is so, a headline after all. Yeah. <laughs> it is indeed. Let's mm -hmm. move on to our second segment. What is the most important quote and why? Mr. Ackroyd. What is the most important quote in this poem? Well, I've gone for the poignant misery of dawn begins to grow, dot, 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 ellipsis. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think uh, three reasons. One, um, dawn in literature is usually associated with rebirth, renewal, hope. Um, this traces a 24 hours in the life of a soldier, if you like. So they get through the night and where the dawn should represent a new day. All it brings with it is misery, the opposite of what dawn should stand for. Uh, two, that word poignant, it, it just gets to the heart of the poem. It's heart-wrenching, it's sad. 
but poignant also comes from the French padouer, which means to break, to point, to stab. And it adds a double meaning as this new dawn is basically stabbing them in the heart. The weather stabs them in the heart. And the idea that it's everlasting, that each day seems to go on forever. It drags that sentence out like I drag my explanations out a bit. The poignant, <laughs> the poignant and the grow, that O sound elongates the line along with the ellipsis to see that this time is stretching out its never-ending cycle of misery and pain. Wow, very nice. Well, my um, most important quote on why is actually quite similar in some ways to Mr. Rackle. It actually appears only two lines later in the poem, and it is also about dawn. Uh, however, there's a slightly different spin on it from me, as it often is. Um, mm -hmm. Dawn massing in the east, her melancholy army attacks once more in ranks on shivering ranks of grey. Um, there's a couple of reasons why I love these two lines. They're probably a little bit harder to remember than some quotes I probably suggest that GCSE students learn. But I think that the semantic field of war here is very important. The idea that that personification that nature is massing uh, an army and it's attacking on ranks. Yeah, it's quite, again, I think that semantic field is very powerful from Wilfred Owen here. And a little bit like we've said already, this is the army that you need to fear. And the reason why this is the army you need to fear is because you can make a German trench retreat. You can fire bullets at a German trench and they will respond. But what are you gonna do when nature comes in an army like this? How are you going to fight back? There is no fight back. You can't even submit to it either. You can't even wave a white flag at it. So it's a particularly strong army. It's the strongest army there is, and there's no way that these soldiers can compete with it. Miss Ray, your most important quote, and why? I've gone for love of God seems dying. And I've gone for that because actually I, I could see what you two were going to go, the direction you two were going to go. So I've tried to go somewhere slightly different. Now for this quote, there are two separate readings. You can either suggest that actually when he says that love of God seems dying, it's the soldiers and their religion and their loss of faith in God is, is retreating and that they're losing that because they are dying. Which tells me that actually, therefore, the power that religion has over these men is also dying. But it can, it can be, the alternative interpretation is that actually, God's love for them is dying. And it's almost like everything is being stripped back from these men. They are, everything is being taken away from them. They don't have their families anymore. They don't have their loved ones. They don't have their home comforts. And they no longer have religion. They are literally being exposed. Wonderful. And, and to be honest, it's quite interesting how some of the things that we're saying, uh, we said fairly similar things when we were talking about Bayonet Charge at one point. And that's yeah. obviously a podcast we've still got uh, to produce at some point but these poems do kind of fit together quite nicely these war poems and uh, they certainly warrant being revised as a group i would say but as well i mean with this with this poem you could have had so many quotes <laughs> for the most yeah. important yeah. quote why well, I mean, everyone one of ours that we've said um i looked at as well thinking that they were the import, most important it's really it's, but just going on to what kate said as well that, that really is a good love of god seems dying because because uh, Miss Ray, sorry, it's the first time I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> For a while. <laughs> Miss Ray, should we say. Um, because at the moment of their death, where they've been prepared, we were talking about being prepared, their religion, because we've got to say that the country at that point was 
predominantly religion, religious. They would have believed in God, afterlife, heaven. But the moment of their death, they know that they're not going to heaven because they've lost faith in God, which means they're going to die alone in a field in France. And there is nothing afterwards. They've got nothing. And I think it was like you said earlier. It was like you said earlier, this is such a sad poem. And I think that is incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think I can see where this is going in terms of the scores. Uh, Well done, Miss Ray. Uh, DJ Zoom, let's hear. Okay. So Mr. Ackwood, it's very nice idea to dawn, um, nice and focused. Uh, The idea that it's stretching out for you four points. Next is Mr. Firkins, a very long quote. Uh, I'd probably stick with the ranks on ranks as the main quote. If you just focused on that, I would have given you full marks, but that's four points. He was trying to to buy one, get seven free then, wasn't he? (laughs) You cannot talk in this distraction. You cannot talk. I can talk. I think that's been proven. (laughs) Can somebody mute him? Is that okay? I can mute him. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But with five points, uh, definitely the one that gives the most interpretation, that gives that alternative viewpoint. Um, students should be looking for, and it's very important for this poem, the idea of religion, especially contextually at the time. So for Miss Ray, five points. Okay, well, structure. An unpointed round, an unpointed segment. We don't have any points for this particular segment, but we do talk about structure. Um, Miss Ray, are there any structural features which Wilfred Owen uses which stand out for you? Yeah, so I know Mr. Ackroyd mentioned earlier about this being like a 24-hour cycle in the life of a soldier, and it's kind of that that I wanted to draw on. So when you actually look at the poem, there are those four longer lines and then that shorter fifth line. And for me, that's almost reminiscent of day and night, that those, long, those four longer lines of the day, and then you get that fifth shorter um, line at the end that's the night. And I think that's really important because it reinforces that idea of time in this poem. They don't ever directly refer to time, but the idea that this war is stretching out in front of them, seemingly seemingly endlessly, but their time is about to die. Their time is about to end. I think that's that's really important. Yeah, just going on from that, though, that, that the fifth line on that, if they, mm-hmm. their life did last another 24 hours, for example, that fifth shorter line, you look at, but nothing happens, what are we doing yeah. here? Uh, is it that we are dying? But love of God seems dying, but nothing happens, really focuses on what we've been talking about, the futility, yeah. the pointlessness of it. So you yeah. go through that cycle and everything's pointless because sooner or later they're going to die. If gunfire doesn't get them, the, the conditions that they face is going to get them. And Absolutely. again, that's just stark, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I think I need some synonyms for that because I think I've said that word about seven times in this podcast. Sorry, you, are, you are getting the phones, fans. So you need the thesaurus out again now. Um, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to our last segment of the show. What you fools don't know. And I'm going to kick us off with what you two fools don't know. And what you two fools don't know is that up until now, we've been studying poems and we've said every single time how prophetic the poets are. We've gone forwards to 2020 and we said wow they were correct they were right these poets these poets but I'm not so sure Wilfred Owen was right in this particular poem and I think that makes it all the more well 
I was going to use the word sad, but it's a hell of a lot worse than that, really. Um, because Wilfred Owen wasn't killed by nature. When you read this poem, you think to yourself, well, they're probably going to die down to nature more than anything else. One thing that makes this poem particularly poignant is that one week before the end of the World War, in 1918, Wilfred Owen was shot dead by a German. And that now means that this poem takes on, when we read it now, a slightly different tone because we know that this war was the end of him. We know that not only did he die, but he would have died with all of these thoughts in his head. These thoughts, a little bit like we've said already, of absolute futility, pointlessness, without God in his heart, without God in his thoughts, without any hope for living a wonderful afterlife, without hope for his friends. And it just would have been the saddest, the most tragic, the most pointless, especially with one week left, I'm sure, but on many levels, the war was already completed, really, by that point, and that the soldiers were just carrying out orders one week before the end. I'm sure politically it was already finished by that point, and it makes it makes his death all the more tragic. Mr. Ackroyd, what you two fools don't know. Well, we should possibly communicate um, like we do with quotes of the week before we do what fool you fools don't know, because mine's fairly similar, I suppose, but like coming at it from a slightly different angle. Um, I should say that that. World War poetry in its first two, two years, let's say first three years, but definitely the first two years, was very bombastic, patriotic, uh, Rupert mm -hmm. Brooke poems. Um, it was only really through Sassoon, who's a poet, and um, Wilfred Owen, where we start to get more of a realistic kind of portrayal of war. Um, and that was based on experience. Uh, Wilfred Owen was left um, stranded um, in a week, for a week, laying in a ditch. Um, and through this, suffered terrible shell shock. Um, and while he was, in, he was in hospital, he met Sassoon, who influenced him to write more realistic portrayals of the war, which was the, the counterpoint of most of, of what the public were seeing. Um, he wrote a lot of these in 1917. However, um, what, what happens next, I think, is really sad. And I'm going to relate back to the poem here. The, the penultimate stanza talks, I won't go through it all, but I'll translate it talks about these guys dying of hypothermia and hallucinating and their ghosts drift back home. They ghosts drift back home and they see the fires at home but they can't get in because the world's shut off to them. But he actually did return home. He was in England but he made a conscious choice to go back to France to fight which really makes it, as Mr Ferguson was saying, even sadder because mm -hmm. he would have gone as a civilian into those homes and thought, this is not for me anymore. I don't belong here. I'm a war soldier. I possibly can't possibly go back to living a normal life. And he signed his own death warrant, really. He decided to go back to France knowing he would die, knowing he would absolutely die. You know, he wrote this poem, Exposure. And for that, it makes this poem really raw. What we're getting is a living sh a snapshot a realistic snapshot from the walking dead from someone who is actually in the realms of death and it's as realistic portrayal of a first world war soldier as you're likely to ever get miss ray what you two fools don't know well i've gone on a slightly different um journey in this than compared to you two and i've gone to look at the first three words that owen uses so in the poem he used the first three words our brains ache now, um, Keats is another poet and he was writing about a century before Owen was and I know that Owen was a really big fan of Keats and I don't think it's a stretch to see that he's used Keats as a bit of an inspiration. 
particularly the poem Ode to a Nightingale, which opens with the first three words, my heart aches. So Owen, my, our brains ache, um, Pete, my heart aches. Now in the poem, um, Ode to a Nightingale, a nightingale is describing a death that doesn't actually die. And that got me thinking as to what Owen's purpose was behind this poem. Was this purpose, was his purpose behind this poem that actually he didn't want the message of war to die, that he didn't want the reality of what he was suggesting to die. But the similarities don't end there. Um, Ode to a Nightingale is full of, of references to the weather, but it does also give you the impression that death is inevitable. Does that give us a bit of an insight into Owen's frame of mind when he was writing this poem, that he saw his death as inevitable? I think that's really scary. I think that's really, really scary. Wow. Okay, so I think this poem clearly has affected us three more than some of the others. I think we've been impressed by some of the other poems, haven't we? But when it comes to what we've taken away from this poem, I think, yeah, it's hard to read this poem and think anything but depression yeah <laughs> yeah it, break, it, it breaks my heart this poem it just yeah. it's so sad yeah yeah Intense and one life. thing i would point out is that if this poem is resonating with our students wilfred owen has written a number of very good mm -hmm. war poems yeah um there, there could have been quite a few that aqa picked in a cluster uh, in an anthology like this and I think if you are interested yeah. in poetry and you enjoy it I think that reading some others yeah. uh, of Wilfred Owens would definitely be Anthem a place for Doom Anthem Anthem for yeah. Doom yeah it's very good Absolutely. Futility it's really good yeah. yeah okay DJ Zoom let's see what you got then DJ okay mm. so um, first up Mr. Firkin, you get seven points. I kind of already knew that one, so uh, I couldn't really give you many more marks, unfortunately. Um, well, it was what you two fools don't know, not what you three fools don't know. <laughs> true, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm slightly influenced. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely a good point to make, but for you, seven points. Miss Ray, our brains ache. I love that idea that you're uh -huh. linking to all these other poets and that kind of wider reading and kind of to bring in that extra knowledge. Uh, I didn't realise Keats was such an influence to him, so for you, nine points. But the one that kind of shocked me, Mr. Ackroyd, with the idea that he actually went home and knew, you know, that he was going to die anyway, so he still made that choice, and it just makes it so much more sad. Uh, but knowing that kind of very much adds to an interpretation of the poem, so for you, ten points. Wow, your remonstrations with the ref have worked. Sir. <laughs> well, you're so easily I, I, swayed, DJ Zoom. I, I don't think. I don't think it's. I think that that's very unfair. I think most <laughs> of the time, you give credit credit for his scoring. It's been fair. There was one week where we thought it, it wasn't fair, and we can all we can all you know have a bad day, Mister. Mister Ackroyd, have you been have you been watching <laughs> back the Premier League years during lockdown and been looking at how Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane used to moan at the ref every week and get extra <laughs> five minutes? Get those penalties, those stupid decisions. Well, it worked. <laughs> yeah, friendship over, Mister Jew. Done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Well, DJ Zoom, it's time to give us the final leaderboard. Okay, so in third place with 15 points is Mr. Firkins. A close runner-up in second place 
one point behind a winner is Miss Ray with 18 and Mr. Ackroyd, our winner, with 19 points. Wow, well, there you go, Mr. Ackroyd. What are you going to say in your winning speech? Yeah, well, it's not really a winning speech, is it? Keep it short. We go back to... <laughs> I don't know how to do that necessarily, but we go back to the poem, and it is all about the poem, isn't it? And it's it's a it is a heartbreaking poem. It's I don't take any pleasure from from winning that really, um, but I think all the analysis was quite good today. There we go. A big pat on the back for Aki Boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Well, don't forget to look us up in all the usual podcast places we are on spotify we are on youtube if your friends want to know how to revise for english literature then you know where to point them get onto this podcast is lit's youtube page where there are all sorts of things including brand new revision videos which are surprisingly for us quite short <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there we go. You, sometimes when it comes to revision, it can be quite nice to go over things for five to ten minutes. So that's been the idea behind these videos and we hope you enjoy them. But in the meantime, signing off for The Maverick, The Brains, DJ Zoom and me, Mr. Perkins. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.